and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Today, we are talking about Jordan Peele's Get Out and Us. Woo-woo! Boop! So why don't we get down to the, the lovely Jordan Peele. So let's just do some quick general thoughts on him, his movies, his careers so far. I mean, he's kind of gone from comedy to horror. <laughs> it was a very abrupt pivot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I appreciate that he is making space for people of color in sci-fi and horror because it's a thing that's always been near and dear to my heart growing up with my Twilight Zone marathons and whatnot. And so I love this representation. I, off the bat, will give him that. For sure, for sure. It's definitely a huge leap in the correct direction. You know, in the last episode, we were talking about the tiny steps made in movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and other, like, 80s and 90s horror that featured people of color, specifically um, Black people. Because I still think there's even a representation issue with, you know, other peoples of color, like mm-hmm. Asian people and Hispanic people and all the all the in between, you know. Um, yeah. But I do I do agree with you that Jordan Peele is making huge advances in representation for and and holding space for Black people. And I think that's really really important. His version of the Twilight Zone is much more diverse. Um, and there, there's more women with agency, uh, because, like, we don't get that in Get Out, because Get Out's a very specific story, and then in Us, clearly Lupita won some awards, but, like, (laughs) he gives space to other people, um, who also have been waiting for a role they can sink their teeth into in a sci-fi genre world, even if it is, like, still sort of turned through the Black lens. And, and, you know, just with any step forward, there's always places to learn and grow. And, you know, we continue to do that. And I think that that's important. And I think that one of the reasons what makes Jordan Peele such a um, good change maker is that he is the person, he has made way for himself in, in a power position. He's not just the writer. He's not just the director or the actor. He's the producer. He's producing these things. So and I think that's, re- that's really important that we have diversity in producing and the people that choose what stories get to be told. Yes. I feel like without Jordan Peele, perhaps this new Canyon Man would not have a Black woman directing it. I feel like that's definitely a monkey paw situation to reach out to Nia to be like, hey, why don't Black women direct horror? Anything else just generally about Jordan Peele to, before we get into the specifics? I'm just ready to get into it because watching these back to back was a lot. Um, All right, well, let's get down. We have our we have our drinks made. We're ready to get down to business. Cranberry martini in Indiana. <laughs> Same thing I've been drinking, but no way, it's not because now it is a raspberry lemonade. Ooh, get you some simply and, raspberry lemonade. Pomegranate vodka. Oh. Vitamins, vitamins, I see you. Like I said, I'm a Southern woman, so, you know. (laughs) All right, so we're going to start with Get Out. Um, One thing that I would say with this intro, when I first watched it, even in this rewatch, 
it confused me because it's not the way that they use, well, spoiler alert for later on in the conversation, it's not the way they use to abduct, that we see them abduct in this movie. Does that make sense? I mean, it's effective. It's scary. It wasn't until later on when I, when they have the line, this is why it's so, Jordan Peele's a genius writing-wise, um, when he says, um, you're lucky that you got the sister and not the brother because the brother's methods are not as fun or not as enjoyable or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that was the brother, not the, okay. Then it all made sense to me. But at first I was like, what? I'm confused. But then it all made sense by the end. Like I said, this was the first time I saw the beginning. So this made things clear, but I always knew that the brother was also abducting black people because it seems to be the family business. So I just assumed. The brother was much more obvious to me. Like, oh, yeah. I did not trust this girl. I did not trust her at all, especially because the way she kept phrasing things and framing things, I had no trust for her the whole time. Yeah. So when it came down to give me the keys, I was like, oh, Bonnie, no. Yeah. Well, this is even an example of my own personal growth. When I first watched the, the movie, I totally got the rest of the family was up to something crazy, but I, I trusted her. And then on this rewatch, I was like, oh, wait, now I'm, now I'm recognizing all of these, like, we'll get to them. But, you know, I'm recognizing more. And I was like, oh, I've grown. <laughs> <laughs> I've grown to know when to not trust white people. <laughs> we all got to learn it sometime. <laughs> you know, anyway. I, I was very much here for the music. It was very creepy. Like, these movies, both of these movies use music in a way where if this song wasn't possibly in this setting, I would be like, that's cool. I want to know more about it. But the way it's used here, I'm just like, hell no. I don't like this. This is some foreshadowing. Right. And even past the music, just the sound effects alone, especially in Get Out, but in both of them, were very unsettling. They never let you feel like you're settling down. So, yeah, but the sound effects are so unsettling. They don't let you ever, like, just relax. No. And when you're relaxed is when they give you, like, that random, like, (laughs) you know? We shouldn't relax because this character doesn't get to relax in this super white and weird setting. And so I appreciate that because it means not only are people who know what this feels like and identify in this moment uncomfortable, but we're all uncomfortable and we shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it, like even in horror, I think sound is so important, and in, in in other films, it's not utilized as well as it is in these films for sure. Yeah, I will say I like the cutting from the weird music into Childish Campino stay woke while we get comfortable in his life and his apartment and what he does for a living. That was very very smooth. Can we just talk about how I want him to come design my apartment? Yes, his Same. apartment was everything. It was gorgeous. <laughs> I was so jealous. This girlfriend, first off, the bangs were a choice. Secondly, <laughs> why didn't we talk about or ask if she told her parents that she was dating a black man before we started packing for this trip? Isn't that a weird conversation to have on your way to the home? Yeah, that does seem a little um, uh, late to the game on that question. If, especially for her responses. My father would have voted for Obama for a third term. What does that mean? People voted for Obama can also be problematic. What? <laughs> and racist. And just, you know, right. not, they're the same thing, kind of. But you know what I mean. Yeah. But no, when, what I said is I could, these are, even from her, these are statements that are like, 
that I could also hear her in the next sentence say, oh, I don't see color. Yeah. You know, it's the same kind of white people doing too much. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that, that, yeah, that part, I was like, okay, girl, you got some growing to do. Then we get into the, we meet his friends for the first time. I, I definitely get this stock character. I understand the stock character. And like this actor makes it a livable person who we sort of enjoy this ride with. Um, but also just some of the things when they were said were already not aging well. Um, <laughs> Like, yeah, I get that TSA has a very specific job, but sometimes the way we approach the topic of terrorism, I was like, I, I hear where this is supposed to be funny, but I'm uncomfortable laughing at the way you handled this joke. I respect that he's not an ageist, though, because he's not, like, trying to pat down old women, and that's what's getting him in trouble when we first meet him. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and you, you, you have a note here about his comments on, is she licking your balls and stuff like that. I, it just, it is, it is very, and I get that it's probably intentional. I get that. Mm -hmm. But it can come off a little insensitive. Especially in a genre that does not value women as a rule, um, which is why feminism usually fall out of things topless. Like that's a running gag. I keep going back to that because it happens in so many movies. And then, well, my next note is that poor deer. <laughs> I feel so bad for the deer. I almost feel like if I run anything over, I feel like utter garbage. I feel like I am a murderer and I need to go repent and like take my lashings or like whatever you do to repent in the in the church. I don't know. But uh, I need to do that because I feel so bad. I revisited that moment twice this rewatch because I was very confused because the first time I really didn't get to like rewind it because I haven't seen this since the theater. It looks like somebody threw a dog at the window, <laughs> which I get when you kind of like do a practical, things are weird, but the size of what it was compared to an actual old deer, I was just like, we needed to handle that different. Well, and, and the weird thing was, and I have this written down, is that why didn't the deer do more damage to the car? Yeah, a deer will walk through your car. Right. If you see someone who hit a deer, that car is fucked up. You don't drive it to the rest of your way. You're done. You're done. <laughs> and you're probably fucked up, too. And in the ER. <laughs> right? I feel like the deer was literally just there to tie in the mom and the way it ends for the girlfriend. Because, like, of course, deer, that's, like, something we all are traumatized by if you hit one. And you have, like, watch this big animal that's majestic just sort of take its last breaths. But still, I was just like, it don't match what you see with this car. I get why it needs to be there for the narrative. <laughs> but from the practicality standpoint, I feel like we could have done something different. So now we get to this beautiful moment with the police. Like, first off, they're in the middle of the woods. It's her and her boyfriend who is Black and this police officer who's clearly racist because police officers. And so, like... <laughs> When he's asking for the ID of the black man who was not driving because he has to, because he's a racist, um, that is maybe not the time to be like, I'm gonna get loud. I know why you're asking for his ID. I feel like that's one of the moments where I was like, I don't really trust her because she's being very loud. And it, on the surface, it comes across as being an ally, but at the same time, the shit goes down when there are no witnesses and there were none. Well, and 
it seems to me like this is the perfect example of fake allyship. Yep. Um, it's 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 not taking into consideration the safety of your boyfriend, friend, whomever you're with in that moment. Um, and it's not your place, really. I mean, I get that. I get that you want to take a stand and you and you want to defend your significant other or whomever you're with. But in that instance, it's not the correct time to do so. No, it could have been a completely different route and been a completely different movie had she cut that up with the wrong officer. And yeah, it that that was probably the first time this movie really tensed me up because I didn't see the first abduction <laughs> the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, this is like a weird little fun movie. When we get to the horror. And then the policeman showed up and was like, oh God, it's gonna start early. <laughs> and then that whole scene happened and I stopped breathing. Mm-hmm. I was like, please don't do this to me. Don't. The cop bothered me, she bothered me, everything bothered me in that moment, which it's supposed to. And that's why it's good that it's there. And then after that, in the car, she says something that just in general, even when I hear it in real life, just bugs me. When people talk about their significant others or the person they're in a relationship with as their man or their woman or their person, um, it just, it, it, it irks me because there's a tinge of ownership. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you own that other person, it, it, it was another red flag because it happened right on top of her in that police officer's moment. And so it was another thing where I'm just like, that comes across as ownership to me as well. Because I hear that language all the time. It's something that I'm always like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> um, But for her to do that right after, like getting that police officer's face and making the scene that could have ended badly, it was like, I'm going to attach this to this point and I'm going to start watching you, lady friend. lady friend lady friend yeah and the another thing i want to just mention quickly here because i think once we get to the house um there starts to be a lot of really great red herrings that come in that if you don't know what's happening if like so this is the first time you've watched it and no one's told you anything you're like, oh, well, that the maid's acting weird. What's going on with her? Or the, or the, uh, the what? I don't know his technical job position. The, the groundskeeper. Groundskeeper, yeah. Yeah. You're like, he's acting weird. There's so many great red herrings that I think is really smart in the way that Jordan Peele put into this film. But like, you don't know, you don't know where the weirdness is coming from, and it could be any of these things. Another thing I want to mention before we get too much further, I think that the casting of this film was so well done yes i i would put i wouldn't change any of the cast members um toby from the west wing he when he first when i first watched this movie he came on i was like ah right and he and the way that he acts is perfect for this character because he really walks that line of being super charismatic Mm -hmm. and then he flips it and it's it's great and same thing with the girl and the mom and everybody because like at the end of the day it's your typical family who is not just like accidentally racist or like problematic they are actively harming black people as a familial unit (laughs) um and so you need them to be like your regular average joes you need them to be like your uncle peck for better terms Mm -hmm. because you have this character who you're like oh i trust them they're fine we're our neighbors and it's just like actually your neighbors are like capturing black people and then putting their relatives into them which is going back to putting people inside people, which is a theme I'm starting to see here. I don't know how to pull about it. I'm clocking it. 
Freddie and Jordan Peele. <laughs> I'm clocking it. But yeah, so now we're back in the house. You have a note about a line that I didn't even really register. So I want you to talk about it. So first off, the dad wanting to give the new boyfriend a tour comes across as really, really weird, especially because they're just over-familiar and over-friendly. They want to make it comfortable and show that they're not racist. But everything he says on this tour is problematic and hits me hard because I've either heard it, seen it, or will hear it and see it soon again. Um, like when he's showing off his eclectic, his word, eclectic house of souvenirs, and he talks about the privilege to experience another person's culture. And he just keeps saying problematic shit like that. And he even mentions the black mold in the basement. And I'm like, you could have just said mold. Why are you? <laughs> and so it's one of those things where everything goes back to race and culture. And I'm cool. I'm not like those other dads you might be thinking you're going to encounter. Well, and I think that the black mold comment was a foreshadow moment in, in the writing from Jordan Peele. And because that's where, in the end of the film, that's where the surgery takes place. Yeah, yeah, it was very thinly veiled. I also, I also love the fact that he was like, oh, I, he clocked him seeing these black servants in their house. They only have black servants. And he explained it away with a bad excuse of why, I know you're thinking, why do we have all these black servants? Well, it's because we hired them to be black servants for our parents and they can get rid of them because we just felt like they were part of the family. And I'm just like, but still, you, at the end of the day, you hired black servants and you still have black servants. So there is no good excuse other than you hired black servants. Why did we go this whole route? The moment when the uh, maid pours the tea too much and the mom is like, go, go have a nap. And yeah. that look that maid gives her is not a look a maid would give if she was to keep her job. Nope. <laughs> but nope. then later on, you find out why she made that look. <laughs> Also, another thing, go have a nap whenever something's off in a horror movie. Okay, so now we're meeting the douchebag brother, which as soon as he enters, I'm like, oh, he's a douche. I mean, maybe it's the stash. It <laughs> maybe could, he's born with it. <laughs> maybe it's Maybelline. But it, it, yeah, he just enters and just exudes this nastiness. He came in at a 10. If there was one thing I would change, I would make the brother not come in to immediately be like, he's a racist. I would like to ease us in. Because I was like, clearly, he's part of whatever the problem is here. I don't know what the problem is yet, but he might be leading the charge. Because <laughs> um, even at the dinner table, when he started appraising him and his build and how he could like do so much damage, and mm -hmm. it was old and weird, like when people would describe slaves and posters. And I hated that feeling of watching it which i think of the next scene really gets that which we'll get there but like even when, and when he tried to like fight him at the dinner yeah. table yeah i was like good sir it's it's okay right but he definitely rolled in to be like hi if you're waiting to see what might be going on it's me hi how are you um and so then after the dinner well then the dinner is super cringy the dad continues to do make weird slightly microaggression statements and like the brothers done all this weird shit and the, you know and they had the scene with the the girlfriend and the boy and i for me this felt okay this felt like the conversation that you have with your friend when you're 15 16 not when you're an adult but i do think they did a really good job of playing or she did a really good job of playing the naivete of like i didn't know my dad was this bad or i didn't realize 
blah, 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 blah. Because like, as white people, we have that moment where we're like, I grew up with this person and I thought they were pretty cool, but now I'm seeing they're kind of problematic too. You know what I mean? I'm happy you said that because I was definitely going to ask because I've had to burst so many of my friends' bubbles about their parents being racist, sexist, and or another is. And I've always wondered if deep down they already knew something was off or wrong and they just didn't want to deal with it. And so I'm happy you brought that up. That was one of my questions about that. Yeah, because, well, it's some. I mean, sometimes they probably have an inkling, but sometimes they really don't know. Um, and she plays it as she really had no idea. She thought she was going to bring her black boyfriend home and it was going to be just fine and she's coming to find out that it's not we find out later on that you know the act but this also felt disingenuous because she was so woke in the apartment and with the police officer so for her to not understand what her family is saying and doing to him i was like you can't have it both ways something's amiss another red flag that's a good point that's a good that's a good point that i didn't catch probably because i'm white It's not your fault, Trent. It's not your fault. No, I was born this way, okay. <laughs> I do the best I can. Uh, this is and this is where I make the note of the sound design because when he wakes up and he's they're both in bed or whatever, it's it's right before he goes out for the cigarette. Oh god. Sound is so unsettling because when he's still in bed and I'm just like, Oh, something about to happen. It was crazy. But that cigarette trip, as you said, it's wild. It's wild. When that dude was running him, I legit thought he was running him because of that cigarette. <laughs> they take this this thing serious. They said, no cigarettes. I saw you light that up. Boom, 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 boom. But I was just, I was so confused because I was surely like, it's the white people. That's what's wrong here. And then he started raining him. And then we have like grandma slash whatever her servant name is, brushing and cleaning in a window. And I'm like, what is wrong? It's also the black people. It's not just the white people. There's something wrong with everybody on the property. Get out. I get it down. Get out. <laughs> and then we get to the, for me, probably the scariest scene in the movie. The, hyp- the hypnotization. When he gets hypnotized. Is that the right, Let's that's the right that word? For a minute. Is that the right word? Hypnotization? Is that a word? Let's make it a word. Let's coin it. Hypnotization. Okay. You're so, welcome, Pierce Streeters. It's going to be on a shirt. Right? Um, <laughs> I hate this scene because it's cringy because that is a thing that I have definitely experienced white people do where they try to co-opt your drama or trauma, not drama. Wow. They co-opt your trauma (laughs) because it's an experience they're not familiar with and they don't understand it. And there's also that disconnect of this is a person not somebody here for entertainment. I, a woman I used to write for, I made the mistake of telling her about some trauma I had a couple summers ago. It turned up one of my other jobs when I was working the bar with a friend who she shared my trauma with, so she could ask me what was going on and if I had updates, they could both be caught up. And I was like, uh, this is awkward. Also, thank you for spreading my business to your strangers and acquaintances because you don't know what it's like to experience the traumas I do at my income level and race. Right. Thanks. The fact that she just springs it on him and does not get any kind of permission or... There's no consent consent that's what i was looking for yeah there is no consent and it, it and it's like terrifying and the, again the sound the sound of that teacup spoon and the way she speaks it's just so off-putting and it just makes you like sit just a little bit off you know like that's yeah. what you do this movie is perfect because the way it escalates 
it's not a big jump scare movie. You're not going to have a bunch of like, oh, I'm terrified moments, but you're just subtly becoming more and more off. Yes. I, I love it because nobody gets to rest, which we do in a lot of horror movies, which is why I, I love this one for that, because nobody gets to ease up. Everybody has to be tense the whole time because that's what it's like to be a Black person in America, is to be tense whenever you leave your home or whenever you have to go interact with a group of people who do not get your experience. And so I love that for so many reasons. One little criticism for this main character. If that shit happened to me, the next morning I am gone. Same. <laughs> she literally hypnotized you and made you share your trauma with her without your consent, and then you just wake up and you stay. That's what, actually, rewind. Uh, the girlfriend, Rose, conveniently forgot this was a weekend they had a party when she invited him down here. And not, that, like, a, and not like a little small no. impromptu thing. A year, an annual thing. Mm-hmm. That was too convenient. I was I was already anti-Rose before <laughs> we even got here. I, I've been watching her. I've been clocking her. Like, I was just like, she wanted to do something different because all she really has in her resume is Girls and Captain Hook on NBC. She's gone full villain. She, she was on Girls. Okay, sorry. I just, but yeah, and like, yeah, I would have been gone. Yes. Would not have passed go. Would not have finished getting fully dressed. Right. I might have left that night. I've had a, I might have woken that girl up and said, we leave it. You can stay or I'm gone. Like when she was hypnotizing him, they put him back in bed and he slept the rest of the night. But you better believe when I woke up, I would have been like, no, we're done. Your the mom one, got in my head. Right. The one thing I will say that I think this movie is really strong with, because it does deal with some like supernatural sci-fi, I don't really know where to put it, but like fantastical concepts. Mm -hmm. But it never felt off the ground yeah it was always grounded in something somewhere yeah and it, and it wasn't like because sometimes i'm glad we just did these films but like with nightmare where you don't know what's real or what's or what's not real or you don't know when you're in the real world or when you're a dream this you were always when you weren't in the real world you knew it mm -hmm. when you were in the real world you were in the real world you never questioned that and i really like that i'm glad it didn't go to like completely mind fuckery it, it really stayed grounded yeah, and it had an explanation for what it did because, like, she's a hypnotist. So, of course, right. she can, like, play with your mind and find these weird pockets. And it wasn't just like, well, now there's magic. Da -da -da -da, unicorns. <laughs> In that moment where she tells, what, what's the word she uses? Sink? Oh, yes. Sink. And he just, boom. Into the sunken place. Because he can't control himself. And that is so, I'm a control freak. You know this about me. So the fact that he can't control himself, I don't know. It gives me hives. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to me, that sink moment would, and the way she, the delivery, again, the acting in this movie is superb. The way she, her, she drops her voice, because at first she's like, I want you to feel like you're sinking into the ground. And he kind of resists, and she goes, sink. Oh, God, so terrifying. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love photography. <laughs> Maybe because I can't even take a good selfie, but like, <laughs> I like people who do it for, for like their life passions. <laughs> Again, and we, we've spoke, I feel like I keep talking about how genius the writing and the performances are in the film, but it's just, it's so specific 
and my like very minor things, but it's so obvious, like the difference in tone between Chris and the servants. It's perfect. <laughs> it's just, it just really is. It definitely helps at the mood that something was wrong with the black people on the property because they could not talk to him in a normal way. And they also just cannot relate to his experience which makes no sense for me to be that age and be like, it's wonderful being black in America. I was like, hold, please. We have more things to unpack and figure out here. Hold right on up. <laughs> We're in a tech rehearsal. Hold, please. <laughs> Which, yes, now that brings us to the party. Oh. There's a lot in this scene. So cringy white people left and Not even cringy white people, cringy people. Because there's an Asian dude who's cringy. Yeah. Like cringe which i appreciate because it takes it from being just blanket racist to being anti-black which is a specific <laughs> bullet in the racism category yeah because he was definitely like what is it like to be a black man in america do you feel it's an advantage and i was like who's asking anybody else of color that no words mm -hmm. the other just super and this is weird, <laughs> whatever, but relatable thing for me as a white person in this movie, watching this movie, is I have heard exactly that or similar things to the things these white people are saying to Chris mentioned in conversation mm -hmm. about this idea that there is a benefit to being Black in America or that, you know, we'll look at Tiger. And, and then that's the reason they think that there's a benefit because there's five famous black people. So clearly it's just great to be black. Right? Like, <laughs> no, like there was a woman nominated for comedy writing. So therefore we're doing the right thing. Was she the first one in the category in all of these fucking years? Yes, but let's not talk about that. She won one. But yeah, it, but, it, that, but same thing with like people saying, well, Beyonce, mm. she's famous. So it's great to be black, right? Right? It must be so great. Because we had a Black president that one time. Right. And, like, this one person won an award that one time. Right. <laughs> and these other one times that make us feel and, good. And they, and they use it on the, on the, like I was saying, the opposite side. If someone does succeed who is a person of color, it's only because they're a person of color. Yeah. No, it's like when I worked at Lyric Opera, there's this older white woman. Whenever she saw me and my roommate at the time, both of us are Black people. Two of, only, <laughs> two of the only black people on this whole floor. It was, I was like, isn't it great you work here? Don't you feel great to work here? Doesn't it excite you to be here? And it's like, do you ask white people this as well? Or is it just the two of us? We compared notes. We <laughs> the two of us. Um, <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, so that's, and like, it's sad that that's relatable to me, but like, it is. So anyway, this party, super cringy the whole time. And then he sees the one other Black person at the party. This whole party leading up to that, though. People are squeezing his arms. They're just, like, asking him all these, like, really intrusive questions. Um, black is in fashion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, like, Chris is trying to connect with Logan. And Logan's now speaking like an old, tiny soul, which he wasn't at the top of the movie. So that's disconcerting. And Chris is like, the fuck is going on here? Why do you sound like a vaudevillian <laughs> character? I don't understand. Um, there's no connection. There's no relationship. Because I mean, like, when you are surrounded by nothing but white people and you see they're a black person, there's some effort usually given to be like, hey, we're in this together. 
especially when it's this wild and this weird. You think you want to connect? And he's just like, no, this is my old lady friend and I'm excited to be here. Smoke cigar, twirl his mustache. That's some old timey phrases. All right, the note that I had was the specific line was, oh, he said, he said that Chris said he was much more comfortable with my being here. And I put, not so much now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because who does that? It was another red flag. And so I was like, so I can't trust anybody black here but Chris now. Gotcha. Well, and then like two seconds later, you see going back to the whole idea of them like grabbing Chris's arms and admiring his body and talking about what he, you know, how he keeps his, how he keeps his body and all that kind of stuff. Um, you see him see uh, the other guy twirl around for their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And it's and then he the Chris says what the fuck and I'm like what the fuck indeed sir right? that's weird. Everybody <laughs> wants to be on display in that way shape or form and so that was an issue. But while we're talking about these things, let's talk about Mr. Jim Hudson, who is the visually impaired art dealer that seems to be the most genuine person at the party. So that's a red flag because how are you in this sea of problematic people, the one who's real? And the one who wants to connect and respects Chris as an artist only in his eyes. Um, <laughs> the fact that he knew him beforehand was a red flag for me. That too. When he, when he was aware of his work, I was like, why are you even studying this dude? It means there's a secret folder somewhere. To quote Issa from the first season of Insecure, they have in secret white people meetings. <laughs> Literally, they're about to have one, so. Aren't they, though? And it's a mindfuck. It's a silent auction. Literally a silent auction. So then we had the moment when Chris goes upstairs and everyone stops talking. My question is, does he not hear this? It felt very Rosemary's Baby. And I was, because it was like instantaneous ripple effect throughout the land. It was like the black man's going upstairs. And like, then the girlfriend just appears to be like, babe, you left me. And I was like, how do you know he was gone if you're not part of the problem, Rose? But yeah, did he not? Because like they're talking pretty loud and then it's nothing. I would have heard that and been like, hello? <laughs> <laughs> but I also get it. I, I, you know, I'm saying that as a white person. He's a black person and a whole white, you know. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't even react to it. I kind of wondered how thick the floors were in his old house because I assume they've been talking about him since he arrived and nothing's ever been heard. And also they talk about them in their bedroom and we assume nobody can hear them. So I don't know. Cause like they did wait till they like cleared the landing and then it was like silence. And then she get, she completely gaslights him on the phone. Yes. About the phone issue. Because he brings up that he thinks that the the maid unplugged his phone, mm-hmm. and she makes him think it's her, it's his fault for being how how would you think you, that's so crazy? You think you're so attractive that Rose has an excuse for everything, which is another reason why I can't trust her. For someone so woke, her response is to always tell him he's wrong about whatever his theory is or whatever he's feeling, and I'm just like either you woke and you're in this corner, or you're not. Right. Right. I also had the thought, which this will come in later, come in more obvious later. Why did he not drive his own car down there? Because I sure would have. They in love. And so they have been together for so long. They can share a car and go visit this 
remote location of just white people who want to touch him and talk to him about his bills. But, but like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I would have driven myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay, so another exchange that is about to happen on the phone that I find questionable is Rod's, because he calls Rod. Yes. And explains the situation. And Rod does it in a very humorous way. And I laughed at it at first, but then I was like, what? Why Jeffrey Dahmer? Why utilize the only queer, not the only queer, I'm sure there's been others. Don't put yeah. that in my mouth. Um, but one of the most famous queer serial killers as like this joke to be like sexualized and like, I don't, it just felt kind of minor homophobia. <laughs> Which is an issue because there's been way, 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 way more cis, hetero, straight, white men, serial killers. The FBI's <laughs> list of people to keep an eye on was a lot like a, a harmony page for most people. So, like, I, the fact that they went to that deep cut was problematic and also cuts off intersectionality because, like, there's a lot of BIPOC people who are queer who are watching this. And so you just sort of piss on one of their identities real quick and then go about your movie. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it just, like I said, his, his delivery of it was, was funny. It just, in hindsight, I was like, is there better options for you to choose? Could mm -hmm. you not have made a funny joke about John Wayne Gacy, who was literally wearing people, mm -hmm. which is kind of what happens. So, and then we meet the maid. Well, yeah. we get to see the maid in her full effect and glory is what we should say. Like I said, I will, I will bow down to all actors in this film. They're all fanta fantastic. This moment for her was some of the strongest acting I have seen in a long time. The fact mm -hmm. that she could do that emotionally with her face while saying the lines that she had to say while also having the teardrop fall, magic. I just, it was, it was the class that I didn't know I needed. Every time I see that scene, which is twice now, I'm just like, how? Like, how does she have the control over her face, her emotions, the tear? Like, I just, I, I need to study her. <laughs> I would like to pay her to, for her time. But back to Tanaka asking about, like, what's it like to be an African-American, or is it an advantage or disadvantage? And Chris is like, um, awkward. And he passes it back to Logan, our friend who was abducted in the beginning of the movie and is now speaking like an old timey villain instead of how he normally sounds. And Logan explains he's enjoying it. <laughs> and that's when I was like, whoa, stop. It was weird before. Now we officially have a fucking problem. <laughs> Nobody in America is like, I love being black in this weird little pocket of predominantly white people. I have no problems. I have no concerns. That's not the story. You can have joy, yes. You can enjoy it, yes. But also, there are very real anxieties and issues. And I'm happy that Flash sets him off from Chris's phone. So we get a break, and Logan goes back to being a real person who tells him to get out. Phenomenal performance. Mm -hmm. The change in his face from when he is being possessed by the old white dude to being himself again. Per perfection, subtle, but specific and obvious perfection. I definitely feel like it's, for me, when this movie clicked, it's something that was definitely inspired by like the African Hitchcock style of film. Cause we can do so much with the silence and the stillness and the like beats on 
just random changes on a beat. And so like, that's when I was like, oh, I get what we're doing here. And I'm, I'm flexible with this. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now we move to the silent auction, which we've kind of discussed earlier, but yeah, it's so weird. It's shot beautifully. Again, cinematography, beautiful. The way that the camera comes down and it's also it, it's split scene, a split scene between this and then the uh, the conversation with Rose and Chris. Um, but the the way that the camera comes down on Toby, I don't know his name in this movie. He's always Toby. Um, <laughs> and then you see the picture of Chris, and then you see the people in the back. We're all like, "What's going on? What is going on?" Because. Oh. It's just- it's been escalating, and you're like, what is going on? Just tell me what it is. Well, then as that camera comes down, and you see the picture of Chris, you're just like, oh, fuck. Right? And that, you said earlier, you mentioned earlier about, like, the allusion to, like, slave... Um, Auctions, and yeah. This was very clear allusion to that. They are literally selling his body. And that's why they were all sizing it up and whatnot. And I was like, oh, God, we just flipped back in time and landed in the most <laughs> racist time. And that's they're, why they're so concerned with his smoking. Right? Right? They're literally selling bodies to white people um, to own. And so, like, we just went ahead and just, like, hit that thesis on the head real quick <laughs> and go on with our day. <laughs> so Chris convinces Rose to leave. <laughs> so we think but first he finds that little tiny door where she keeps the box of pictures with her and all the black people she's dated and I made a note mm-hmm. I don't care what house I'm in I don't never trust no tiny doors if I won't got, sleep there if you got a tiny door in your house there is a ghost there is a spirit there is a box of pictures with white with black people Like <laughs> tiny door big secrets that's what I found out Tiny door, big secrets. Right. And so there's a shoebox where she's keeping pictures of her with other black people she's brought here, most of which is seen because it's Georgina and I forget the groundkeeper's name again. And so, like, why would you keep those in the room you're going to be sharing with the person you're bringing to, like, do this to? Is there no other hiding place in this giant plantation house? But did you enjoy the different iterations of Rose? (laughs) Yes. She changes on a dime. Like, she changes to get who she needs and who she wants. I would have loved to have been on set when they were taking those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> like, the one where she's got the do-rag on. I was like, girl, what the hell is it doing? Which makes sense, because she's such a blank slate. Because, like, he's in love with her. And I'm like, where's her personality? Why is she has so many contradictions? I don't understand. And it's just like, she doesn't need to be a person, because she's too busy being other people to attract people to this mess. But yeah, so he finds all those pictures. And then, why? 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 Why, why, why? Does he walk out before she does? Yes. If I am not trusting you, I am not letting you be behind me. Also, why did he think they could get the keys when they got downstairs? I would have had the keys in the room. I would have grabbed that purse from her and said, I would have been nice, because I wouldn't want to, like, show my hand too much, you know. But I've been here, baby. Let me help you. Gotten the keys and said, "All right, go to the car. I'll meet you there." Mhm. Mhm. No, because I wouldn't let her leave. I wouldn't let her leave my sight. Can we just talk though about how, when she admits that she can't give him the keys, the bag toss and the sigh he gives <laughs> was heard around the world. 
And they're like, where are the keys, babe? Where are the keys? Like, oh, no. <laughs> and I don't believe her. And then finally, she's just like, you know, I can give you the keys, right, babe? And he throws his bag down, and that thud <laughs> makes me so happy. It's so weary. It's so tired. It's just like, it is bullshit. I can't. Let's go ahead and do this, I guess. Right. But then, again, the acting, when she goes from like, I'm sorry, I don't know where it is. I don't, you know, I can't give you these. It was like, <laughs> all fuckery is out, y'all. Well, she'll pass, and I, I'm here for it. Look, it makes our character make sense. In this moment, I'm just like, everything I thought about you is true. <laughs> so then, that damn teacup, I said, never trust a white woman with a teacup. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Erica Alexander pops up at the police station. For those of you who don't know, living single. She was Maxine Shaw, and she was a gift to all of us in the 90s. <laughs> and I was happy to see her in this movie. That was, that's when I was like, okay, it's going to be okay. Erica Alexander is here. But can you talk for a minute just on the symbolism? Because I don't, I think that it was a very specific choice of Jordan Peele's to make Rod go to the police tell the story and have them not believe him. Oh, yeah. And and the fact that the majority of the police department is of color. And, and she is a black woman and she does, they don't believe him. I think that's a really interesting specific choice. It would have been too easy to have it just be more white police officers. That's too easy to opt out of. But like to have other people who share these experiences and anxieties not believe you and or not want to come through. I as somebody who's had to go to deans who are of color and they not care in <laughs> my grad school, it hit home real hard. And I was like, yep, I know that feeling. Good luck, Rob. Okay, so now we're on the phone. Oh. Rose picks up the phone from Rod with Rod. <laughs> I keep talking about how great the acting is in this movie, but like her acting in this scene is so good. Teach a class on this, please. Right? But I, I did have a thought, though. I think you'll enjoy this. So 2020 Brain, rewatch. Mm-hmm. when was this made? 2018? I think so. Maybe 2017. 2017, 2018. It was after 2016. Mm-hmm. It, um, it was in Trump's America. Oh. But <laughs> we're still there, girl. We're still there. Anyway, she reminds me now of these, like, and I know it's been happening forever but we're seeing video of it now, of these white women on the phone with cops. And they're like, he's, he's attacking me. I'm, I'm in. And this black man's like, I'm not. I'm standing right here. I just asked you to, to put your dog on a leash. Like, and that's another reason why I'm fascinated by this character is because she is every Karen in America. <laughs> um, cranked at a 10 constantly. Not ever dipping down to an 8 or a 9. She's always at a 10. But she hides it while she's 10 uh, she's the ultimate predator. Like, she is the real monster of the movie. If we had to, like, assign that to somebody, it is Rose. Yeah, because the other ones are, well, the brother is much more obvious. And the dad and the mom are just opportunists. She's the one that's, she gets close to you. She's the scariest, because it's never the ones you're watching, it's the ones you're not watching. Well, and can we talk a minute about the fact that when he's, uh, after they've knocked him out and they're bringing him to the uh, room or whatever, she tells him, you are my favorite. 
which is so fucked up. Right? Right? What kind of shit is that? Okay, interesting thought I had. How did the grandpa and the grandma suddenly become servants? Because this is when we find out, because when he's in the room tied to the chair, we find, we see the video, and we find out that there was a grandma and grandpa, and they are essentially the servants. How how did that power dynamic happen? And I think it's clear, I'll let you talk about it, but I think it's clearly based on race, and it makes the line when Georgina in the room, I think it's when she has that great scene in the tea and all that, when she says, I'm no one's servant. Yes. Yes. Makes so much sense. Because in this world where they are so not racist, the only way they can have black people in their home is to have them be servants. And so that's why they're going to keep perpetuating this vicious cycle of using black bodies to keep their like family lines alive. Um, and so, of course, it's just like, well, we can't tell them we have black friends or black relatives. Servants they are. Which is why you never see them actually, well, Georgina never actually works. She pours some tea and took a nap. The groundskeeper, he does who knows what. He, we Top see him. Wood runs around. Pops wood and runs because grandpa was a runner. Not because like running's a chore, because grandpa liked running. And now they can this new black body. And it's just, <laughs> I, I, I get it. And it made perfect sense to me because I was like, that explains why they sound like 1930s serial killers. Yeah, an interesting thought process about why Jim wants Chris. I feel like, because he sort of talked about it a little bit when they met, how he wanted his eyes, and he wanted what he assumes is this privilege Black people are given as artists, which we are not given, as you've seen. <laughs> as you can speak to personally. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely no privileges as a Black artist, I can assure you. Um, until recently, I was very, very poor. And <laughs> even now, and I'm not doing wealthy. Look. <laughs> Nobody cares. It's like, oh, you're an artist. That's cute. Step aside. Um, and so he assumes that the reason his career isn't down the avenue he wanted it to, even that he's successful, is that he could have it all. He had his eye and his talent. Um, and people look at him as a Black man in America, which is just some fucked up shit. I mean, I don't know how to go about unpacking that with this much martini. I just don't. I, <laughs> it is a lot. It is a lot. I think that in a, in a strange way, when you have black people and people of color coming up and other um, minorities coming and having their voices heard and having and saying, I'm going to have agency, I'm going to have a space at the table and you need to listen to me. And this is why, because I've been through all of this stuff, white people think, oh, well, I need a badge of oppression. I need to figure out some way that I've been oppressed or the fact, or they think that marginalized communities are being benef being benefited by the their oppression, which absolutely is logically makes no sense. But somehow, white people have white straight cis men typically have convinced themselves of this. Whenever I ran a call for scripts by women and or people of color, it's always been cis hetero straight white men who have to like do the fighting with me because God forbid something's not for them. Um, the things I have had to read and respond to in a kind manner, even though it's clearly like sexist, racist bullshit, 
And even then they don't understand that their privilege allows them to get that response from me who wants to just like throw down and fight. But my theater is like, no. <laughs> the fact that I turn around and be polite in this nastiness is just appalling. And so for them to be like, well, I could get those three things you might be able to get, but I can't because I'm not black, if I just took your body. It, it rings truer and truer every time I think about this movie. And honestly, that's one of the things, sadly, I think has gotten worse since this movie was made. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think it's because we live in a world now where in a lot of circles, being racist or being anti-diversity is praised, especially when we have a certain Cheeto in the White House. Um, you know, I don't want to make this whole, I don't want to go too political, but like, I think it starts there and it trickles down. He, he's like the watering can. I like the water metaphor. There's a quote, and I wish I could remember who the quote comes from. But when talking about like systemic racism, they said it's not the shark, it's the water. Mm. Because it's just, it's so inherent and it's so everywhere and you can't get away from it no matter how hard you try and no matter how hard people say they're not part of the problem. But then they turn around and uphold these systematic structures that are meant to keep people who are not identifying as them in different places and levels that they can never like actually go out of them. But in order to in, uh, to have prosperity for everyone, we have to realize that we're all somewhat part of the problem in different in varying degrees. We've all done something wrong, said something wrong, made the wrong decision at one point in our lives. Own that, learn from it, and be better. Mm-hmm. Saying that I'm not part of the problem is not helpful in that path. Boom. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Let's go back to this movie now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so he's taking down there. We find out that grandma and the grandpa are the mid-servants now. Look at him wearing a mask. Look at that surgeon wearing a mask. It's almost like surgeons do that because they fucking work. Right? Also, what kind of, so like he's a doctor and his wife is a therapist or a psychiatrist or whatever. How have they been doing this in their own home and nobody's been like, we need to check up on these people and maybe look at their licenses and take that shit back. Privilege. Because they're white and rich. (laughs) Because they're white and rich. I love the moment because like, I was like, oh, Chris is done. He's just done. It is what we're about to watch. This has been one of those horror films that end with a terrible, like a sad ending. Yeah. And because when the brother comes in and he starts getting them ready and does his thing, he think he because he thinks he's knocked out, but he's not because he plugged his ears, motherfucker. Right. And so we kill the brother. Well, we think we kill the brother. He hit him enough times he should have been dead. When he comes back later, I'm mad about him. He should be dead. But I will say Chris uses some very ingenuitive weapons. He's very creative. He He's uses, an artist. He has an artist's eye. There you he uses a ball and then daddy comes out and it's like, where's the, where's the black boy? And he fucking stabs him with a, a deer head. <laughs> I live because taxidermy and what they were doing to them is its own weird form of taxidermy, but like they are still in there somewhere and moving. I don't know. It's weird. I, I get the parallels. I'm too drunk to like name that name. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Right. 
And then our dad, as he starts to die, he we light the house on fire. I love that with his last ounce of energy after being stabbed by the taxidermy deer, he's like, fuck it, if I'm dead, it's all done. Knocks over the fire because he keeps open flames in his laboratory in the basement. <laughs> and he's like, burn it all down. And I love that, like, the mom and Rose are oblivious to this fire happening in the house. Especially Rose, because she's oblivious for a while, which we'll get to that because that moment is a choice. Uh, had a smoky smell in her apartment since Thursday. I would be aware of an actual fire. <laughs> uh, so he goes up upstairs. That when that mom stabbed him, when he what a when he broke that that damn teacup, I was like, "Thank you, fucking Jesus! Let's break all teacups." Uh, uh, but did you notice when that mom stabs him in the hand with that knife or whatever, he does not even wince. He's not even like, ow. Adrenaline. I, I guess. Woo! It goes through. It I goes, live for it. It goes through that hand. I live for it because adrenaline's a real thing and we don't give that to women in horror movies usually, which is why they fall down. They just stay down. I'm like, oh no, Freddie, Jason, somebody's coming. I'll be here when you get here. Don't worry. I can't stand up. What? <laughs> no, we find out the brother is alive and came back for more. And he's putting him in chokeholds, which is definitely something the police use. And it's something he used at the beginning of the movie. Um, Logan King is what he was called here, but I forgot the actual first name. And I, it was very uncomfortable to see him after all this racism and the, the silent slave auction to put him in a chokehold. I was like, can I not, ah! <laughs> and the struggle happens. Meanwhile, Rose is upstairs eating Fruit Loops and drinking milk separately, listening to music, looking up basketball players. If you, needed, plans. if you needed more of a sign that this girl was, something was wrong, she is eating Fruit Loops and drinking milk from a straw. Ain't nobody ever not wanted Fruit Loops not in milk. Nobody's just no. like, give me that Fruit Loop dry. That's not the conversation. <laughs> And isn't she listening to something? What is she listening to? Oh, I had the time of my life. Because hashtag white people. Right? Right? It's like she's breaking up with somebody who she just said to be dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we finally kill the brother, and we make sure this time he is dead. He, like, curry stomps on his head three or four times. He will not be in the sequel. <laughs> no. And we finally get in the car, and we're going. And he hits grandma, and I. I hate this. I hate this. I, I know why, but I hate it. I, I I do too. I get that the I get the emotional trauma, but like, go to a th go to a real therapist. Yeah, not somebody in her home with a teacup who wants to like use your body to make her money in the black market. Right. <laughs> not uh, yeah. Go to a real therapist and leave that grandma on the side of the road. When he. When he puts grandma in that car, I I almost left my body. I was like, good sir. You you do you not see what you just went through here? Grandma part of the problem. What you gonna do? You, you use your camera phone, you don't have to flash her? Like clearly this is gonna be an issue. Just leave her there. Let her figure it out. She part too she too far gone. Oh <laughs> so, yeah. And I totally I well, and part of this I think was 
intentional filmmaking. But I did not notice the groundskeeper's scar until this last scene. Same. Because the hat's always on. Yes. So, yeah, I wonder if under grandma's hair, there's also a scar. And that's a, supposed to be a wig. I can't ever tell when it's supposed to be a wig and when it's not supposed to be a wig in any movie. So I never question that. Right. But because of the groundkeeper scar and because Logan had a hat on, I wonder if they're being very indelicate with the scalps of these black people, which is also a thing, if it is, we should unpack. But because we can't prove it and we're already pushing an hour, let us leave that there for now. And on our revisits, we will try to get an answer from Jordan. Uh, of course, the, she sees the sirens and the white ladies like, Help, help, oh, I'm white, I need your help. But surprise, it's Rod. Right, I love that he, I love that Chris on this journey, because like we see him react to the deer in a weird way, and we see this woman like pull out his trauma of his mother laying on the side of the road, and we see him pick up grandma because he can't leave her because of his mother. And then when he gets down to Rose, he's like, no, I'm going to choke this bitch. She won't lay here, but also I'm going to end her. And I'm just like, you are coming full circle, good sir. And then Rod shows up. And we maybe let her leave? No. Yeah, we might let her live because we assume she dies, but we don't know. Horror movies. I mean, we didn't see her die, but also she's in the middle of nowhere. She's been shot in the stomach. She Chances are. And Jordan Peele's not one to do with sequels. At least not yet. I feel like this Karen would talk to the manager and she would find her way off that sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do love the, when he's like, how did you find me? And Rod's like, the, he says, the T.S. motherfucking A. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he tells him that he, he, the literal quote, I told you I had to go in that house. Cause that's such a horror movie watcher line. They'd be like, don't go in there, Sydney. Don't go in there, Jamie. Don't right. go in there. And they go in and then we get this franchise. Well, that was Get Out. We're talking, so now let's get into Us. Hit Jordan Peele's second horror um, offering. So we begin in the 80s, which I love. Cause I love the 80s. What a, it's, just, it's such an iconic time. And like you, you immediately know it's the '80s. That's why I love it. The minute it comes on, you automatically are like, "This is the '80s. I know where I'm at." I love that the first title card situation is about the men in subways and all the crap underground that has been urban legends and myths forever. Because no matter how, no matter how tough we think we are, we are all like, "I don't want to be underground by myself." Things happen down here. <laughs> it's just such an ingrained urban legend. It's super creepy, for sure. And the Hands Across America commercials also are just, like, very 80s. Was that a real thing? Yes. I, I put a link on our notes because I, I vaguely remember hearing about it. It raised, I want to say, $15 million. And people literally stood hand-to-hand doing the things. And so I, it gives a whole other layer to this movie, which is definitely... It's got some themes that we'll probably, like, discuss later on. Mm-hmm. But first thing first, children already. I can't catch a break. They're throwing kids at me left and right. Why Why is my biggest fear always thrown at me in these damn horror movies? What have I done? And why in the beginning, why do children just roam off? Do they just, like, 
I'm gonna walk over. Bye. Like, look, this child is walking around a boardwalk that gives me like severe The Lost Boys <laughs> vibe. Yeah. And she's like, I'm going to take this cotton candy and just wander the fuck off. And I'm just like, you are trying to get snatched, little girl. Stay with the group. And then she goes down there and sees our dark-sided twins, which kids are already scary. I don't need to see evil kids on top of them being scary naturally. I just... <laughs> well, let's back up, because this is really important about the film. Um, the Bible verse that you keep seeing repeated, 11-11, Jeremiah 11-11, says... It's a, this is why I always say when people are like, you know, uh, the Quran is so de- it's so violent and so blah, blah, blah. The Bible is too. Listen to this. Mm-hmm. Therefore, thus the saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, <laughs> which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. It's a lot. That's fucked up. It's a lot to come from a dirty man on a boardwalk that belongs in the Lost Boys. <laughs> I didn't want it. I didn't need it. <laughs> and, then, and then, as you said, the little, little, little girl meets her doppelganger, and we cut. The fucking rabbits. The fucking I. I have seen this movie four times now, three times this year, once in theaters, and the rabbits are unsettling because, like, we loosely talk about why they're connected, but we don't really. So we just have these like damn rabbits multiplying in the sewers with these like tethered versions of these people up top. Well, the reason I think they utilize them, because they utilize them as, as a food source, but... Uh, oh, you're right. They said that. Oh. Yeah, they have to eat them raw. But the reason they do that oh. is because they... <laughs> they procreate very quickly. As many times I've heard them say that, I, my brain wouldn't let me have it until you just put it in there. Oh, God. Yeah, I need another uh, drink. I didn't come to this one with enough alcohol. What? <laughs> I don't know how they procreate. While they how they procreate because they're each in individual cages. I guess maybe there's another cage that we don't see where they have babies. I don't know. There's but, a bathroom, rabbit. The champagne room, if you will. Um. <laughs> and again, the music is super unsettling, and then, then they do a great transition to Janelle Monae, and we're all here for Miss Lovely Janelle Monae. I did love. I don't think they were together then, Jordan Peele. It's a psychic, because Janelle Monet and Lupita are together now. <gasps> That's what I need. I didn't know it. It's you didn't what I know need. That? Surprise! No, they're together. They're they they love each other. Well, this is my favorite podcast now. Um, sorry to all the future episodes and the previous episodes. This is the one I needed for my soul because, like that, that's royalty happening. Um, I like that, which is weirdly enough, the song they chose for Miss Janelle is I like that, <laughs> which was a very abrupt choice. Again, like in Get Out, where you have like this creepy music and all of a sudden it's something pop culture who, that we are like into and we know because it's in the canon and we stand this person, whether it's Childish Gambino or Janelle Monet. Let's talk for a moment because this, I think, will handle a bunch of our notes. Um, and just briefly about the family dynamic, because I talked about how I really enjoyed that, and it was a much, it was very refreshing after watching Get Out. <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> it's also just nice to see a Black family that is just living and vacationing and being basic. Like, the father at no point threatens to beat any of the kids, which is a trope in American TV for Black fathers, um, Blackish, 
um, <laughs> Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, Forever and Ever. Like, it's just, sometimes it's nice to see a Black family not be violent and suffering. And that's what I want more of for all the medias. And so the fact that they gave us this before, of course, we start torturing them because it's a horror movie. I, I lived for it and I was here for it. Mm. And I will say, I, I thought it was really great too when it, it's, it's, they walk a great line between being very heartwarming and very funny. When the little brother tells the sister to kiss his anus and the father, <laughs> why are we talking about anus? This, because uh, I had the same thought. Why are you saying anus? Just say ass. Like, I would rather get in trouble before saying ass <laughs> than say, kiss my anus. That is that is personal. That is not just, like, a throwaway. And this person has wronged you, and you want to make sure they get in there. And it's not something you tell your, your biological sister. No. No. So then we, when they go to the beach where... So Lupita, Lupita, I can never say her last name and I don't want to say it wrong. So I just don't say it. <laughs> just don't, just Lupita. She's like, <laughs> she's like Whitney and Cher. It's just Lupita. Lupita, um, we know who she is. She's dating Janelle right now. She's well, queen. Um, so she is the young girl all grown up and they, they go back to the beach to where her trauma happened. Whatever that was, we still don't really know. I want to rewind. Because, like, that's my thing, is why do you let your husband take you somewhere you have trauma and then let him guilt you into plans he made with your friends behind your back on the beach you don't want to go to? And I was like, that's some patriarchy shit. And in my mind, Lupita don't stand for that. I get it. This is a role and she's acting. But I can't see Lupita just going with somebody's plans. <laughs> Here's my question. And this is something continuity-wise I don't really understand. So she has this trauma and she's very clearly upset or bothered the entire time. But they mm -hmm. allude to that this is not the first time they've been to this vacation here. It seems yeah. to be where they come every year. So what makes this visit different? Is it because they do say this is the first time they've come back since the grandmother has passed. Is that why? It's all weird because even when she's like, fine, we'll go, but we have to leave before dark. I'm just like, I, I also hate that trope in horror movies where it's like, if we do this in the daylight, we're safe. No, you're not. Evil doesn't respect the clock. Evil's evil 24 seven. Why do you think <laughs> in the middle of the night is when it happens, whatever it is. Right, which I, you know, okay. So I, I felt like I could do this because I praised the fuck out of Jordan Peele um, during good, when we talked about Get Out. This is one of my issues with this film. I feel like Jordan Peele bit off a little too much. So some of these continuity plot holes, or not necessarily plot, but like ambiguity, ambiguity in, in plot or in character happened because there's just too much. It's so much in this film. So some people might be, I know some people who will vehemently disagree with me on that. I like that he put off so much in this one because every time I see it, like I said, four times down, I see new stuff and I see new arguments that people have that I disagree with the first time around. But I will say that what got them here is very much a throwaway. It's a horror movie, so we just have to be in the space it happens. Right. I will say I would like a stronger choice to get them here. Like well, maybe that's maybe that's my theater brain because I, you know, as especially studying directing and playwriting and all you know the construction of a story in the theater you're constantly asked why is this play happening 
on this day? Why is it this day and not tomorrow or not yesterday or last year or why today? You know, I'm having another mid show epiphany. <laughs> what if this is a tie into one of the themes in which she felt that her privilege afforded her this protection to come to this beach once a year? And that's perhaps why she wasn't really worried. Like she thought she could do this every year and be fine. Even though she has anxiety and knows she shouldn't be here. She's just like, well, I, I have this privilege because I'm up here and like whatever I'm worried about is beneath me. That's my epiphany to have mid show this time. Okay. I'm just going to keep well, getting drunk and having these apparently. So. I'm, 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 I'm going to let you keep that. I don't know that I'm on the same plane with you, but. <laughs> I want it to make and so that's what I'm reaching for today. I'm going to let you fly. To your, I'm going to let you fly to your destination on your plane, and I'll just stay over here. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to take a, a moment, make a statement, because I love her, uh, but God, I can't. Elizabeth Moss is so talented. She is a phenomenal actress. Why the fuck is she in Scientology? Girl, call your dad. You're in a, in a cult. Thank you, my favorite murderer, for that quote. I love it. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it's the you're in a cult. Call your dad. My friends that love that show are going to roast me now. Anyway, <laughs> anytime I see her, I'm like, God, I want to love you, but I just can't do it because you're in Scientology. Scientology has now infiltrated Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, just say no. Anyways, uh, the white people. I'm not a fan of him. I'd hate the line, give my wife her medicine. Ugh, no. Um, yeah. Twins. Let's talk about that because, like, what I hate more than one creepy kid is two creepy kids who look alike. And so the fact that, much like the rabbits, <laughs> these kids are multiplying and I'm stuck because we've already announced we're going to like cover this. <laughs> and I always forget just how many children are involved. I've seen it four times, but I'm always like, oh God, there's another. Oh God, there's two of them now. And I just, it hurts me. But yeah. Oh, also the, the, the imagery or the, the symbolism. Did you, I don't, it, it's something else. I don't understand. The circle in the Frisbee. Like it seems like that's supposed to be a moment, but it, it, I don't get it. I, I am not in the right mind to try and figure out this circle business, but I also clocked it, especially because Hands Across America, there's lots of globes. Um, there's lots of circles in this movie. And I, I don't, especially with, yeah, that, if this had been the first movie we covered in this recording, perhaps I would try and play with this circle, but I will not be caught out here drunk and in a circle in 2020. All right, fair <laughs> enough. I, again, I go back to, I think there's too many, too much happening. In this movie, yeah, we got kids drawing pictures with blood in it. Uh, Why do they always do that off in horror movies? They're just like, oh no, he drew this bloody awful picture. He needs a nap. That he don't need a nap. <laughs> Clearly, he needs help. <laughs> yes, I don't. I, yeah, I don't understand why he's not more supportive of her when she when he's when she's telling him about her story, and he's just like, do 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 do. Oh well, you're fine. It's whatever. Don't just get over it straight men are the worst and what one of the things I like about it and we sort of touched on it with the family dynamics is this is a normal typical family we would see in a horror movie it's not just like this black family we're gonna make suffer because that's all we know how to do with black people and black bodies and so he gets to fall into that role of the dad who is harmless and kind of worthless 
So he's like, make it a joke, make it fun. I'm just gonna seduce you because this is could just be shut down. And it it works, even though Winston Duke is much like Lupita. I don't believe this from him, but also he's an actor, so I have to let it happen when they choose these roles. But I'm just like, I see you. I don't believe this, but I'm going to keep watching. All right, so let's take a moment. This is this was the first moment of this film when I was like. What the fuck are you doing? There is a family standing outside your house in the shadows. And, and the people that tells them and they don't believe him. And you're just like, well, at least the Pete is like, I'm going to call the cops, which they're probably not going to do anything. But <laughs> which they don't. They said it's 14 minutes away. Check on my clock. They still ain't 41 here. days later. Right. <laughs> So, um, but the dad, I said, I was going out and talk to him. It's fine. Like, just, I would have gotten in my car and left. Have my house. I don't care. If I'm staying with you and you appear in my bedroom in the middle of the night with, there's a family in our driveway. We're done. (laughs) We're all done. We have to get out. New movie. Get out. What? Part two. They just leave. Get out part two. That's the... I also love that the dad thinks he's intimidating in his like prep school sweatshirt and his like corny one-liners. He is literally the typical average cis hetero white dude we've been spoon-fed in all these horror movies for decades. He's like, give me the baseball bat. I'll run off this whole creepy family. And it's like, no, you won't, good sir. You're gonna make this worse. Right. And the and the so the real world creepy son is creepy. The tethered creepy son, I ain't having it. That little crawling, no. I didn't throw holy water in my TV for watching this movie. I was not ready. There's also way too much glass in this house. How many windows do they need? It was a glass house. People who, maybe it goes back to that saying, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Cause like, they definitely did try to come for that creepy family and they drove away. <laughs> and they broke their windows and came for them. Um, I, I will say this. The style, the cinematography, the way that sh- the way that the film is shot, very much like Get Out, is stylish, stylish, specific. It 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 is very Jordan Peele, and it's very good. Especially when we see we call her Red, but it's the tether Lupita from underneath in the red jumpsuit with the glasses, and her stillness and her movement and her silence and that like creepy voice. That had to Which, hurt her voice. It had to, like, I can't even, I can't. No. I know she worked with lots of different coaches for, like, the ballet stuff because they were just like, if you did ballet as a child, you'd have more grace as an adult. <laughs> um, and vo- vocal stuff and all of it. Like, she was basically in a boot camp for this movie. Yeah. And it shows because these are deliberate, specific choices. And she is creepy. It is very good. The shadow self concept or the tethered is really interesting concept for me. Um, I wish he would have just stuck with that and developed that more as opposed to trying to add all this other stuff. That's just me though. Um, I also love the idea of them killing them with scissors as the cutting of the tether. Like I get, I love the symbol. I love the symbolism, the imagery. I love it all. I felt they were costume shears because like those are the sharpest ones if you only use them on fabric. Um, which gives you that like crisp sound and it helps you hit your targets well. Just saying. Uh, shout out Sarah Widgen who taught us that. And uh, <laughs> 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 you're not Sarah Widgen anymore. Sarah, what a new last name. I can't think of Epting, yeah. Epting, that's it. 
Um, anyway, there's so many, just like the get out, there's so many good one-liners. Nobody wants the boat, Dad. When they ask, who are they? We're Americans. I can't even do it. I can't even no, do yeah. it. It's because she's sucking in while local. <laughs> that was really close. That was really close. I've been practicing. <clears throat> Call me. Um, but I, her voice is one of the reasons why I sort of figured out that my theory is probably true early on in the movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Little girl run. Wait. Girl run. That was some messed up shit. And then to have this girl run from a stronger version of herself <laughs> in the night, I I did not like that. I did not. I felt personally attacked a little bit because she's literally running from the better version of herself, who happens to just be creepier and wants to kill her. I I don't want to unpack it. I don't. I'm not going to. Let's just keep going. <laughs> so this little boy, but the little boy is the MVP of this movie, in my opinion. Because if he had locked the, the other little boy in the closet, we would have been fucked. Nobody else knew how to deal with a tethered version of themselves. Right. Because they were stronger, faster, creepier. <laughs> right. Um, so MVP for the film, right there. Uh, can, okay, can the coffee table that she is handcuffed to, can it not move? Apparently it is stapled into that floor. It came <laughs> with the <laughs> house. It does not move. So next time we're building a home, everyone, let's make sure our coffee table is mobile so that when we inevitably get handcuffed, handcuffed to it, we can move. These are, these are true things to remember for life and horror movies. How, yeah, and like the boat, so the dad takes the other dad out on the boat, try to kill him, and they end up both in the water, but the other tethered dad gets drug off by the boat. How in the world did that boat go in a circle like i don't <laughs> it was a bad boat i i don't understand boats but i know that one was a bad one right. so maybe it's broken and it just goes to the left forever <laughs> don't stop it right. i don't i have questions uh also so the little girl who's chasing her if everyone has a tethered self what happens to the people who are killed by other people's tethered selves because it seems to be a tether per person so like where is that person's tether or who they killing now? Right. Or do they die? Because I'm assuming if the real world per if the real world person dies, your tethered person dies. However, when the family that is also their friends get murdered, their tethers take over their bathrobes and music. But they're but they're killed by their tethered person. I need we need to ask Jordan Peele this because mm-hmm. now that you put it out there, I feel like anybody can kill the person and the tether keeps living. But also we don't have official so, concrete evidence. And then why but then why don't we have tethered people of like the grandma or the grandpa or the you know like Tethers were joining hands later in the movie and we don't know if all of those tethers are still having people who are alive up top or not. So maybe that was the plan. If we like your other person's dead, you'll get in that line and we'll meet up with you. We don't know what Lupita told them. But you know she had a plan. <laughs> so, okay, we'll skip that for now because, again, ambiguous. <laughs> the moment when she said, when uh, Scientology woman says, uh, so whatever their series name is. Ophelia. Uh, Ophelia, call the police. Playing, fuck the police. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I also 
it made me wonder if they named her Ophelia to be like Shakespeare, Eurocentrism, because like, that's my only Ophelia I reach for. Granted, I'm sure there's many, many more that I'm not thinking of because we're teenies. But when I think Ophelia, I think you worshiping Shakespeare bitches. And so I was like, yeah, get them tethered versions, get them. Um, <laughs> but again, we have this dad who is just like typical worthless dad in a horror movie. And he's like, I don't think you heard anything. I think you're just blah, blah, blah. Go back to bed, girls. And then they're dead. And I live. And the way they died, too, was so shocking. Because they just come out and, bloop, they're dead. Bloop, yeah. dead. Elizabeth Moss gets to live a little bit longer. But, like, it was so quick. And, like, it wasn't scary. But it was so, like, <gasps> what? Like, I, it was just shocking. It wasn't super, it wasn't even a jump scare. It was just, like, what the fuck? You know? It stood out because, like I said earlier, Jordan Peele has a very Alfred Hitchcock situation for his films. And this was more of a blunt trauma, like a Friday the 13th or like something else that's more like a slasher situation mm -hmm. as opposed to a mindfuck thriller who's going to come back for you. Right. Yeah. Another just exchange writing-wise that I really thought was funny. I think it's Lupita that says the dad talks about how they're going to go home and they're going to set up all yeah. these traps. And she's like, tell me you did not just reference uh, Home Alone. And the daughter goes, what's Home Alone? <laughs> <laughs> they have not raised their kids right. Right. And now, but now Lupita has, has found her agency. She has found her strength. And she says, you do not get to make decisions anymore. Boom, bam, thank you, ma'am, bye. But also, connecting them dots, because we called out Nancy for a Home Alone scheme in Nightmare on Elm Street. Are we watching places of the same horror movies over and over, Trent? Are we? Are we? Oh, the eating the raw rabbit. You clocked that in the notes. My brain fought that for over a year now, just so you're aware. I saw it in the theaters when I was in New York March last year. I saw it three times this year because my roommates hadn't seen it and they needed to watch it for this. My brain fought that. My brain was like, you don't need to hear that. You don't need to know that. And then you sat here on this podcast with your like raspberry vodka and you were like, cause they eating them. And now that's all I know. What? Here's my thing though. How does eating nothing but a, a diet of raw rabbit make you the strongest unkillable things in the world? Apparently there's vitamins in that rabbit fur. Okay. Oh, it's Which now when you go re back and rewatch it at some point, when you see them, uh, well, this is later on in the movie, but when you see her uh, other tethered Lupita as a little girl go through there, that she's going through the, uh, when she's going through the pier and, she, and you're seeing like the tethered people and the real world people, when you see those tethered people eating that stuff, they're eating raw rabbit. I will say that when Topside Lupita kills that athletic twin and grunts is when I stopped wavering and committed to my theory. Yeah. That's when I was like, I, I'm right. I need to stop wavering and pretending it could be something else. This is what this movie is going to be. And I agree with your, your point about on the, in the notes that the argument of who's going to drive is so tight. It's been done in every horror film ever made. And I'm like, why? Just get the fuck in the car and go. Literally. Because I will say the daughter had a point. Mama, you're in handcuffs. Daddy, your foot is broke. I'm the only one. You want him to drive? You want the little boy to drive? <laughs> My thing is, that girl's in the seat. She can drive. Let us go. Get in I it. don't care who drives. I care if we're still here. That's right. what I care about. Right. 
Can your feet touch the touch the pedals and your hand touch the wheel? That's all I need to know. So the scene where the the creepy little boy has trapped the family by burning their car and is trying to trap them by exploding their other car. But the youngest, the other son, they have that weird psychological connection and he makes him back up into the fire, which is super interesting. I also wondered about Lupita having that moment with her tether daughter when the tether daughter was dying after they run her over into the tree and things. And she's watching her die and there's that sadness, which also helped me further commit to my theory. And I was like, bitch. <laughs> um, there's these subtle moments that like separate mean nothing when you put them all together. Right. Jenga. It was just a really, yeah, a really strong moment and really visually striking. And yeah, when we're, when you're in the scene and we, I, we already kind of talked about this, but when you're in the scene where the two little Lapitas are going through the pier and you're seeing the mirror is so interesting. I want a sequel, but I just want it to flip. I don't want to go down there and watch her eat rabbits. I don't. I don't. They were, I want the way they moved and the way that they like, I don't know. This is a podcast. So no one's going to see what I just did. <laughs> I, I'm going to paint them vivid pictures. Times like this, I wish we did like put the video up somewhere. Because like, your arm gestures today have been fan-fucking-tastic. We are doing them a disservice by not giving it to the people. What? <laughs> um, yeah, I, that was one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. Their fight was magnificent. I, yeah, and again, I don't understand, you, you put this in, I don't understand the Hands Across America and how that fits in and what that, I don't. Jordan, listen. If you're out there, <laughs> which I know you're out there somewhere, I just don't know if you're listening. If you're listening, let, just let us know when you're available. We'll make it happen. We, got, we got questions. If you want to bring Lupita, that also works. And Janelle. I want Janelle, too. Yes. But I'll take just Lupita. But if I can get both, I want both. Actually, if Lupita's listening, we will leave out Jordan and just talk to you about it. If you can just get his theories from him and give us your own insights. Yes. Get his your notes and bring them with it. What? <laughs> Yes, and that last fight scene, the choreography, which I know fight choreography is choreography, which is dance, but like the way it went from fighting to dance to fight to dance, it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Whoever choreographed that deserves all the awards. It was art, and I love this song choice. I uh, This movie has very strong song choices because a lot of them are things I remember hearing as like a kid so that also takes me back in a weird way and like most people don't want to revisit their childhoods when they're trying to like have fun and watch a horror movie and so that was also a weird effect and then to have this beautiful dance sequence that's also a fight I was I was in it I I want more pretty fights that's what I want (laughs) and also I want to know how they shot that because clearly they had to do some kind of like CGI or I don't know what, but the, I mean, Lupita's performance in it is magical. The fact that she's fighting herself essentially and it all works and it all looks, it never looks like there's a body double or anything. It just all looks really well done. Yeah, no, I, I just, I'm obsessed with it. I, I watched it a couple of times this morning before I started my day. And was just like, this is, this is art. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how else 
to paint that. It truly is. I mean, like Jordan Peele makes horror films that I believe are, I mean, I feel, okay, because I don't, don't want to make this out to be like none of the other horror films are artistic because they all are. Clearly, I'm making a podcast because I love them. But he yeah. makes them to where they are higher than where they've been. He elevates the art form, both in cinematography, writing, direction, mm-hmm. everything. I think part of it is taking real-world topics, not to say other horror movies haven't, because clearly Nightmare on Elm Street was thought up because teenagers were dying in their sleep. And other horror movies also have like a grain of truth, some of, most of them. Um, but I do think that because for so long, BIPOC artists were not allowed to make these movies to the ability that they have and with funding, it's just a whole new world to see them tackle racism in Get Out or privilege in this one. And it, it, it just makes it a stronger choice and it makes the world more realistic, which makes it scarier because you're not just like, oh, well, Elm Street doesn't exist or, oh, Camp Crystal Lake doesn't exist. You're like, no, this is actually America. I can't, I can't do what I did when I was 12 and be like, Freddie can't kill me because I'm not on Elm Street. Right. If I'm not going camping anytime soon. So, Fred, uh, so Jason, can, you know, like, you can't do that. Like, it's definitely a marriage of talent, circumstances, funding, and lived experiences. Agreed. Because when you encourage people to bring their lived experiences to their genre and their art, you get something you don't see often, which we don't get a lot of. And I'm sure if you, I, I haven't, so if someone out there in the world wants to correct me, please do so. But I'm sure if you looked at his production crew, it is filled with marginalized people. So yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think, I think it's a lot of intricate things working together that makes these movies so great. All right, let's do our hot takes. I kind of touched on Marin throughout because clearly Get Out is tackling racism and us is tackling privilege and being a black woman and who's just now finding financial stability of any sort at redacted age. I have to admit, I feel very seen in these two movies. <laughs> and I would like more of that. Keep putting people who don't get to tell these stories in these rooms to see what happens. My hot take is, and I've also kind of hit on this already too, as well, but like as I, I feel like uh, Us, while is more, it's scarier. Like I was much more scared, like jump scared and like uh, tense during Us than I was during Get Out. I feel like for me, Get Out is slightly a better film because I feel like Jordan was more focused. I feel like, as I said earlier, he, in my opinion, he, it, us tries too many things. It, 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 it never fully develops in theme or idea a lot of them. So I love both of them. Don't make it wrong. It's not like I'm shading us. It was so fun. I just think Get Out is a better film because it is much more of a focused theme. How did you feel about uh, the twist? Because I figured it out. And we can keep this here. We don't have to move this. Because I figured out the twist. I... I enjoyed the ride. It's one of those movies where, because I'm a ruiner, you've watched movies with me, I figure things out, it's what I do. And then I'm mad because I figured it out. But I enjoyed the ride to get there and all the things on the journey that I can't figure out or I go back and forth on or I fight with myself over. That's what makes it 
that's what makes it fun for me because yeah it's easy to be like well clearly all these signs point to the tethered version switched with the girl on the pier at the beginning duh but while we're focused on that and being like i figured you out jordan jordan's giving us all these other nuggets and bits and we're just like but what does that mean but is this if this is this materialism is this privilege ah and so like <laughs> it's a fun ride with a lot more themes and problems that is america for me it it's a sad time capsule of the times so, yeah. yeah i would say for me the first time i watched it i personally didn't like the twist um because I didn't see the point. But now on my rewatch, I see the point. And so I go back and forth. I see the idea that he was trying, that he was going for. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm still in the middle. I'm still in the middle somewhere. I'm gonna say it knowing full well, some of my friends who listen will be in my DMs when this is dropped to be like, ha ha, no. But what I feel like it is, sadly enough, with a tethered version, switching places with that girl at the top of the movie, is it's proven a point that anybody given the right circumstances and advantages in life can succeed. And so it's kind of a weird little like inspiring story in a weird horror movie way. And I just, I can already feel the DMs coming for me right now and I'm here for it. And I'm happy to talk about it. But I said what I said, look. <laughs> I see that. And, and because he was trying to go for so many different themes and messages, I could totally see where you're coming from. In closing, thank you all so much for listening. And make sure you follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can email us if you have thoughts, opinions, concerns, tales of woe. Our email is just, surprise, um, a nightmare on Street at gmail.com. Um, okay. And yeah, or, or contact us on social media. Any, you know, we got DMs, we got messages, we got all that. Um, subscribe, rate, review. Sheree, do you want to tell them what we're doing next time? Next time on a nightmare on Fifth Street. Um, so what happened is we asked you all to give us your favorite horror movies, and. The one with the most votes that was not already scheduled in our early stuff, because a lot of them clearly Halloween screamed, those are on deck. Like those are gonna, you're gonna get those this year. However, the one that won by one vote, literally by one vote, that's how close it was everybody, was The Shining, the original version. So we'll be discussing that next week, which I'm happy we're focusing on just that because Stanley Kubrick is a lot to digest on top of the movie. And um, I will say, yeah, be on the lookout on social media when we put out those posts about what are your favorite scary movies, because that's why we want to hear from you so that we can choose things that you want to hear us blabber about drunkenly. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to do The Shining. It's been a while since I've watched it. Uh, I do love some Stephen King, even though he hates that rendition. Anyway. Um, we might also need to get into Stephen King while we're focusing on just The Shining. Like, it's a light homework week. Perhaps we need to talk about what Uncle Stephen's been doing and what Uncle Stanley's been doing. And I have an actual Uncle Stanley, so that was a weird thing just came from me, and we need to wrap this up, because I got sick. Go unpack that. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Until then, stay fierce.